It's my joy to really not give so much of an introduction to our uh, speaker, our preacher this morning, but uh, extend my thanks. Dale Johnson will be uh, ministering to us from the pulpit this morning, and it was very gracious of the staff and elders to let me give my attention to the, to the elders retreat this last week and not uh, have uh, the, the burden and the joy of the prep that I would need to do for Sunday. So it is, it's an awkward an odd thing for me to be able to sit on the front row of the church where I serve and to hear preaching, but I can't think of many people I would rather do that under than my friend Dale Johnson. As you know, he's the executive director, the president of ACBC, which is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. He's the director of the counseling degree programs out at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and he and his wife, Summer, have six wonderful children who grace the halls of our church uh, week in and week out. And we are so thankful that they are a part of our church. They're, they're truly our family. He's become a good friend to our church and to me personally. I'm so thankful to hear what he has uh, from the scriptures with us and for us. I do want to do something that might help by way of uh, introducing our heart to his we're reading, uh, one of our books that we're reading this year is uh, his volume that he just published a few months ago, The Church as a Culture of Care. There is a particular paragraph, there's many that I have highlighted and like in this book, but I wanted to read this one, which will give you a little bit of, the, of a, a glimpse into his heart and also a glimpse into his heart for us. He writes this, every aspect of the work of the church is intended for the care of souls. Let me read that again. Every aspect of the work of the church is intended to care for souls. Preaching, shepherding, one-anothering, church discipline, missionary proclamation, personal obedience, all are intended to awaken or strengthen the soul to to live faithfully and peacefully in a war-torn and sin-cursed world. If Jesus cared for others by the truth of God's word in these various ways, shouldn't the church under his headship do the same without reservation? I love that aspiration. I love that goal. I love his heart for his own soul and for us. And Dale, we are so thankful to you and for you in ministering to us and just being a part of our family. So come and share God's word with us. A mission room welcome to Dale Johnson. Oh, it is so good to be here. Um, it's so good for our family. We, we love being here. You guys have been such a blessing to us and a blessing to my kids. Moved here three years ago and, and um, yeah, it's, it's, you guys have just been such a blessing. Uh, I want to say I'm so grateful to uh, the ministry that you have here, not just in the preaching of the word, but in the ways in which you, you care and love the word and you are affirming all the things that we attempt to teach in our home to our children and, uh, and we are grateful. I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. As you're turning there, I want you to know a couple of things about this passage. We know very little, honestly, about the details of this particular psalm, really other than what appears in the, in the superscript where it says, for the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah set to Alamoth a song. It seems in some way that that a crisis is befalling the people of Israel. This hymn is really intended to teach us something about the nature of God 
during moments of crisis, really in comparison to the shifting and changing elements of the world that's cursed by, by sin. Some argue that this psalm speaks to the future, a time of apocalypse. There are certainly elements of that here which seem to be consistent with Psalm 2 and Daniel, the book of Revelation. But I'm, I'm not convinced that that's the primary purpose of this particular psalm. This psalm, Psalm 46, along with Psalm 47 and Psalm 48, really are shouts of praise to God because Jerusalem is under siege by foreign enemies. While the doctrines given here are certainly true of the apocalypse and the apocalyptic time, the specific crisis remains unidentified. This whole psalm to me is, it seems like a defiant shout of praise to the name of the Lord our God against any foreign enemies or against anything on the earth that would thwart the nature, the character of God and his care toward his people. I want to read it. And really, maybe this morning I have Pastor Rick Itis. We're only gonna get through three verses of the whole of the Psalm. But I want to read the whole thing to give you some context. And this is what the, the word of God says. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts. We've already song, uh, sang songs of adoration and praise to you. Rightfully so, Lord, you are God in the heavens. And nothing here on earth will thwart your plans. And God, we, we place our hope and trust in you anew today, knowing that your mercies are new. And Lord, we need these words in our heart. We need uh, this word saturating our hearts, especially in the days in which we live. So, Father, I pray that this morning you would use the word as a means of comfort to us. Lord, help us, help our hearts to trust in you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I want to begin with a bit of a story. When, when we brought our twins home nearly, nearly seven years ago, they'll be seven, April 24th, I remember this distinctly. Well, we, we had done this several times before with, with uh, four other children, but we bring the twins home. Part of the reason I remember this distinctly is, yes, there were sweet, wonderful, sweet, tender moments of watching the, the other four children welcome the baby twins home. But even very, just very quickly after that, that sweet, tender moments, we started getting notifications on our phone. 
And the notifications on our phone really began to cause fear and trembling and trepidation. Because we were living in North Texas at the time and what frequently happens in the spring in North Texas is uh, tornadic activity. And during the next several hours, we spent 10 of us, my family of eight, along with Barb and Daryl, who many of you know, Summer's parents, we spent in a small bathroom, hiding, sheltering away from the tornadic activity. And as the, 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 war, or as the um, tornado warnings came, every 30 minutes it would up. You guys know that feeling? You guys don't care because you're Kansans, but I'm Floridian and it mattered, okay? And so we were hiding in the bathroom. I mean, we were, I, I was, it was the most fearful I think I've ever been in my entire life. Because in those moments that continued to ensue, it was dark. And I would run outside as if there was something I can do. And you feel helpless and hopeless. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt fear and trepidation in such a way that you wish that there was something you could do, but you knew that there was nothing you could do? And there were constant moments, where do we go? What do we do? Do we get in the car and just haul everybody away? I mean, we just got home from the hospital. What in the world do we do? You can't run. You can't hide. There was, there was fear. There was trepidation. There was concern because where we were currently staying was not a solid shelter. The question for you is, you've felt moments like that. You felt moments like that consistently. We, we feel moments like that on a weekly basis to some degree or another. Where do you shelter? Where, where do you hide? I remember sitting in that bathroom thinking, when it comes next spring, we will have a storm shelter. And sure enough, by the March of the next year, we, we put in a storm shelter and it took quite a, quite a bit, not just financially, but uh, even the moving of the earth to put that thing in the ground so that we felt safe. And you know what was interesting? Is in subsequent springs, whenever tornadic activity would come, I never, never quite felt that way again. Because every time our phones would go off or we knew that storms were coming, we had a place that we would just calmly and quickly move out into the shelter and we had snacks down there, so everybody enjoyed it, water and that sort of thing. And, and we spent many hours in the shelter, but it was very different sitting in that shelter versus sitting in the bathroom, knowing what was raging outside. And that night, there were, within eight miles, four tornadoes that touched down. It was a scary night. I want you to know that this text that we're dealing with this morning tells us that our God is our shelter. Look at the first verse. God is our refuge and strength. Remember, this is, a, this is a shout of praise for those who believe in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. Now, let me pause for a second and speak to maybe some of you in this room who do not believe. You don't share the same comfort, the same solace, the same peace that, that we who believe in the Lord Jesus that we have. You're running to all sorts of shelters. You're running to all sorts of refuges. And what you find consistently is they're never enough. But for we who believe, this is a shout of praise. This is an acknowledgement of fact that God is our refuge. He is our hiding place. Listen to the ways 
in which the Old Testament proclaims this idea. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. Psalm 61, one through four. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer from the end of the earth. I will call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wing. Psalm 62, six and eight. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. That's a question for you today. You see, this is a statement of fact. Your experiences do not shift and change this fact that God is a refuge for those who trust in him. And then the question becomes is, why is it that things that happen to you on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or the things that you fear coming in the future thwart this truth or this fact in your own heart about God? You see, we as the church need to be constantly reminded of these facts about God and his character and his nature, that he is a refuge to you. You see, this is a proclamation not just simply that God is a refuge, this is a a proclamation of exclusivity. It's also exclaiming at the same time that if God is our refuge for we who believe that there is nothing else in the earth or on the earth in which we are to take refuge. One writer says it like this, our true security is in God, not God plus something else. You see, we often search for peace and solace and hope and stability in in things in earthly things things that shift and change and things that that shift and change just like the shadows do during the process of the day those things cannot be trusted and I don't have to tell you that you know that experientially those things cannot be trusted but our God is a refuge our God is a shelter and he is not like the things of the earth one of the primary doctrines that we learn Uh, from scripture about our God is that he is immutable. That means that he never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You see, this is the deception. This is a deception that we often believe, that these things which seem so enticing in the earth, so convincing as our hope, they really only perpetuate fear. They really only perpetuate anxiety. They really only perpetuate vanity. They're perpetual shame inducers. They're perpetual producers of despair. The call today is to trust in God as your shelter, to trust in God as your refuge, because the truth of the matter is, when the end of the story is written, everything else will be stripped away. When the end of the story is written, everything else will be burned up. That's why you experience now when you trust in those things, this constant shifting and unsteadiness within you. Trust in God. He is our refuge. I want to make one other point when we think about God as being a refuge. And I want to speak to both believer and unbeliever alike. That we will be found hiding from him or we will be found hiding in him. Those are the only two options that we see presented in the story of scripture. We will be found hiding from him, 
or we will be found hiding in him. We could go to many places in scripture to describe these truths. Let's go to Genesis chapter three. Where do we find Adam and Eve? Hiding in the bushes behind fig leaves. Their plan of self-protection, it absolutely failed. Their hiding places and coverings could not cover them before God. The truth of the matter is, even though it appeared to their natural eyes that they were fully covered and that their shame was hidden from sight, they were never hidden from the sight of God. How do we know that? Because God came in and he provided a covering because what they were were trusting in was not sufficient. Let's go to the end of the scripture and we see the same story unfold at the end of time. Revelation 6, 15 and 16. People are pleading, they're hiding under rocks. Listen to the word of the Lord. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. Unbeliever, you're finding your shelter in temporary things that will pass away. And what you're coming to is is a point in your life at which death will regulate everything. And you will be either hiding in Christ or hiding from him. Now, for those of you who believe, listen to Paul in the New Testament, describe what it means to hide in him. We've heard this preached eloquently in Ephesians uh, chapter one, specifically. Listen to Paul in Colossians chapter three. If then you've been raised with Christ, he's speaking to those who believe. If you have trusted and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, this is what he says. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. One writer describes it this way. Clothed in our shame, crowned with our thorns and exposed to the judgment of God that we deserve, Jesus is our hiding place. Outside of Christ, there is no safe place to hide. But being found in Christ, there is peace and safety. You see, this proclamation of God as our refuge, which we see in the New Testament explained in the Lord Jesus Christ, God as our refuge, what this demonstrates is that Everything that we need, he sufficiently provides. You see, God already knows that in himself, he being a refuge, is exactly what you need in the moments of your life that are fleeting and passing and very fragile. Don't you understand the beauty of what God has done as he has provided not just something for you to run to, he has provided himself. Why? Because he is all sufficient. John Calvin says it like this, talking about this particular passage, God is sufficiently able to protect his own people. This is the proclamation here, that God is our refuge, God is our shelter, he is the place at which we run and hide. Another thing that that tells us is that you need a place to hide. You will be found hiding in something. The call today is to trust in God. Trust in what he provides. So yes, God is our refuge. We, we hide in him. But I want you to be cautious here. This is, not a, this is not a call for you to be simply passive or unengaged in this process. Our hiding in him is walking by faith in the promises in which he gives. You say something like this. There's no way that I can move on. Look at the situation I'm in. Look at the trials, the distress, the difficulty 
that I find myself in. I can't press on. I can't move on. There's no way that I can face today. I'm, I'm too weak. I don't have the strength sufficient to wear a smile, to be kind, to be gentle, to speak words that are filled with grace. Can I tell you today, this passage also reminds us that our God supplies every need according to his riches in glory. He is our strength. Look at verse one. God is our refuge and strength. Martin Luther actually wrote a hymn based on this particular passage. You probably know it well. A mighty fortress is our God. So if you want to sing lyrically, you can read Luther's commentary on Psalm 46. What a great proclamation of who God is. There's, there are several lines in there that are quotable for sure. Uh, they should burn within your heart. This is one of the ways in which you carry the word of God with you as you go. To, to be taught theology as you go about and sing that theology. So that way it resonates deep within your heart throughout the days that you live. One line that he gives, he says this, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. You see, the call here is to be cautious in, uh, in the strength that you trust in. Do you trust in yourself? That is certainly the call of our day. You're having problems of all kinds. The, the call constantly of our day is to build yourself, to grow yourself, to, to reach down deep within the power that you have within, to grow it, to build it, cast off the things that are outside so that you can walk faithfully in your own strength. Notice here that God is not placing himself as one among many options. God is not saying here that, you know, I, I'm one of several good options for refuge and strength. This is an exclusive statement that you don't have another strength that exists outside of him, that he is your strength. Listen to the scriptures again, Psalm 28, 8. The Lord is the strength of his people. Psalm 59, 9. Oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, oh God, are my fortress. Psalm 118. I was pushed hard so that I was failing, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Psalm 81, one, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Psalm 20, verse seven. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we, those who believe, those who place their faith in Christ, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He is our strength. One of the most vivid ways that I've seen this recently is this old goofy YouTube video. Do you guys ever watch that? It is quite a waste of time to be honest with you. But there was one intriguing video. There's, there's a young man who has disability. He can't walk. He's bound to a wheelchair and his friends are out playing soccer and his, his father figures out a way to strap his son to his body and he straps his legs all the way down and, and the, the dad is out on the soccer field with these kids and he's moving about and the son can't move a limb and yet the dad is moving for him. It is this picture that, that I envision even of the way God is our strength. He is that which animates the things that we do. He is that which gives power to that, to that which we are called to be and to do. 
He is our strength. Again, this is not one among many. And when it gets really desperate and really bad, yes, we run to God for our strength. No, this is a call. This is a factual statement of who God is and what you need. You see, in our culture, we, we oftentimes push aside some of these realities relative to our weakness. That's a part of leadership training often is to hire against your weaknesses or to uh, you know, strengthen those types of weaknesses. Well, the idea for us in the scriptures is we're called to glory in our weakness because God is our strength. It's at those places at which God demonstrates himself most strong. And that goes against the flow of our own flesh, certainly, because we like to strengthen our flesh. But in the end, that's hopeless. Paul in the New Testament encourages us with something similar, I think, that's taught here in Psalm 46 in 2 Corinthians 12. Experientially, Paul is dealing with this issue of the thorn in the flesh, and he is given great comfort by our Lord Jesus Christ when he says, but, but, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong because you're resting in the strength of Christ. I'll remind you of Ephesians chapter 3, 16 to 20, which we've learned here recently. This same proclamation is given that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen is Christ your strength is God your strength this is the this is the call it's not a call as we would say in the south to pull yourself up by your bootstraps that's not what I'm asking you to do what I'm asking you to do is what the text calls us to, is to trust in God as your shelter and your strength. You see, finding refuge is not intended to be something that is passive. It's to walk by faith. And the call is that you can't do that on your own. You need the strength of the Lord in order to walk by faith. And he empowers the weak to do. He empowers the weak to action. You can glory in your weakness when you hide in Christ because he is your strength to act. There's another statement if we continue here in verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now I would say that this summary is, is really, uh, a, a, it's a summary of the, the two declarations that have already been made. It's a statement about who God is, that, that these things, these characteristics of our God make him a very present help in trouble. Really, the, the picture here, and we'll get to trouble in just a second. No, notice that we've not even really talked about trouble. We've not given detail specifically to what the trouble is that's befalling us. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. 
You see, our focus often is gazing in the direction of the trouble first. This is a method. This is the method from which God teaches that our gaze, just the same way Paul talks about in Colossians 3.1, is to be not of the earth, but fixed above. Because it matters not the shifting things of this earth, it matters the sturdiness of the God that we put our trust in. Now he says he's a very present help in trouble. What that means, we just heard that in Ephesians chapter 3, is he's abundantly available for help. The, the, point, the point here is really that he intends to be found is the meaning of the text. It's sort of like this when you play with your young kids hide and seek. Do you guys ever do that? And you don't go hide in the most difficult spot or the game will never end, right? You go hide in the most obvious places, really closing your eyes or covering your eyes as if you are genuinely hiding. What's the point? You intend to be found. This is the picture, I think, that we see in times of our trouble. God's not playing hide and seek with you where he's running off and he can't be found. Maybe a good way for you to understand this is God is not Baal. You see, when the prophets of Baal were, were calling out to to him, he couldn't be found. He was not a very present, abundantly available help in their time of need. You see, and there's a distinction, there's a contrast, there's a comparison here that our God is ready to be found in your time of trouble. He is easily found. He is readily available. And he says he's readily available in times of, of troubles. What does he mean by that? He, he's talking about times of distresses. And this is a, a generic word that is talking about any types of troubles that you have. Any distresses. Distresses of all kinds. Really, the, the word picture here that you, you, you get in this text is that you're found in tight places. We, we have a saying, I'm sure that you use that here, is you're found between a rock and a Hard place. You ever found yourself in places like that? That's trouble. Those are the types of trouble that we're talking about. And you're not emotionless beings when you're, when you're in the tight places. Your emotions can't be settled. You're, you're back and forth. You're every which way. And the Lord is saying that when you find yourself, yes, even in those places which seem like there's no way out, he's readily available. He's abundant. He's sufficient enough and he's ready to be found. One commentator says it like this, he is a, a sufficient help. Whatever it is, he is a very present help. We cannot desire a better help, nor shall we find the like in any creature or any created thing. Why? Because God delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. Listen to Micah seven eighteen. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love or in mercy. George Swinnick says it like this, God's justice seeks a worthy object. God's grace seeks an unworthy object. But God's mercy seeks a needy object. Can you confess today that, that you are constantly and consistently needy? Because those are the types of people to whom God grants mercy. Listen to the way in which the Bible in a few places describes 
God's disposition toward his mercy. God's disposition full of mercy toward those who are needy. Psalm 51.1 says that he is a multitude of mercies. 1 Peter 1.3, he is abundant in mercy. Ephesians 2.4, he is rich in mercy. Psalm 145.9, he has tender mercies. 2 Corinthians 1.3, he is the father of mercies. The point that I want you to gain here is that he is absolutely enough for every situation, that he is sufficient and his help is completely sufficient. And never, never is that mercy to us in the New Testament as we see Revelation progressively revealed, never do we see that mercy more evident than we do in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is a very present help in our trouble. Let us look upon the crucified Christ, one commentator said, the remedy of all of our miseries. His cross cross procured a crown. His passion hath expiated our transgressions. His death disarmed the law. His blood washed a believer's soul. The death is a destruction of our enemies, the spring of our happiness, and the eternal testimony of divine love. Calvin said it like this. It is, however, obvious that the psalmist design here in Psalm 46 is to extol the power of God and his goodness toward his people and to show how ready God is to afford them assistance that they may not in time of their adversaries gaze around them on every side but rest satisfied with his protection alone. This is the proclamation that Paul intends to make in Romans chapter 8. That if God is for you, who can be against you? He is a very present help in trouble. Now look at the next verse, verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. I find it interesting that we're told because of who God is, He is a refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble that we are now told just based on that information alone that we will not fear. And again, I want to get back to the methodology here. The the way the psalmist is building is our focus is intended to be on the character of God, not our circumstances. Do you see the distinction here? Because the, the curses of evil, the curses of sin are inherently unstable. But the psalmist is saying that doesn't matter when we're talking about our God who is the refuge and strength in times of trouble. Why? Because he's he's mightier, Psalm 93, 4, than the thunders of many waters. He's mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Do you see our tendency? As people who are dust and who live, as Solomon would say, under the sun, do 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 you see it here? Because you want to say, but, but you don't know what circumstance I'm in right now. Do, do you see that? that? That's our reflex. You want to give explanation to all the details of all the things that, that you struggle with. And no one's minimizing. Those things are absolutely true. But the details are irrelevant when we talk about the character of our God. The details can be any number of distresses, any depth of distress, but that doesn't change the character of our God. It doesn't change the nature of his being that he is still a refuge for those 
who are in trouble. Now, what I want you to notice here is the way in which he describes this. Therefore, because of these truths, we will not fear. And you say, well, why do I fear all the time? Why do I struggle? Why do I, I, I have worry-inducing moments? Why am I filled with anxiety consistently? Well, it's one of two things. Either your focus is on the circumstances that you find yourself in, and you think you're at their mercy, rather than being focused on and gazing upon the God who is your refuge and strength and very present help in trouble. Or you have forgotten this truth in the midst of your trial. And so the call for us today is to be reminded of this truth, to confess and to repent in ways in which we have forgotten this truth because these truths about God cannot be thwarted no matter what it is that we face in daily life. Therefore, because of the character of our God, we will not fear. Be reminded of that truth today. Now, finally, he goes into what's going on. What's happening, right? Aren't you curious? I I want to know what's happening. This is sort of like getting the end of the story before you find out the plot and what's going on in, in the story itself. Listen to what he says. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Do you see what's happening? Those things which are intended in our created world to be most stable are now coming unhinged. The scriptures everywhere describe God as he spoke these things into existence and they are described as the foundations of the earth in which we live. The earth itself, mountains, the sea is something that rages and foams consistently, but this seems to be distinct from its normal process. And what we see here is that these once fixed elements are now being shaken in such a way that they are changing and moving. The SV describes this in terms of the earth giving way. The idea is that, that something is massively shaking, that in reality they're really unstable. And that's what's happening here. Do you see the contrast between everything that's created versus the one who is uncreated? Do you see the contrast here? That, that God is fixed in the heavens, He never changes. Nothing here thwarts who he is there. But yet everything here that's created because of the curse of sin is in constant flux and shifting and changing. And I would argue that this this section of this passage is quite hyperbolic. It's describing something that in poetic form that's happening. And he's saying it really doesn't matter what's happening to you. Even if the earth were to start giving way and the thing that you're standing on starts to become unstable, There's a rock that's higher, and it's our God in whom you find refuge. You see, these things of the earth, they provide no certain security. They provide nothing on which your heart should be stable or on which your heart should trust in. Yet, we find ourselves constantly running to these things for shelter. You know, it was really a a, a wonderful thing when... I bought that shelter and I was there for the whole thing. 
I wanted to watch them dig this thing into the ground and make sure, that, as if I know construction, that they were going to get it just right so that we were safe, right? And I thought that through that particular thing that fear and trepidation would be completely gone. But here's what I've, here's what I've come to find out is that even though the shelter's wonderful and when tornadic activity comes, you have a place to run and hide, it, it doesn't accomplish completely eradicating all fear and trembling. You see, what, what I realized is that night sitting in the bathroom was really more real to life than I cared to admit. That night in the bathroom where we were thinking that we were at the mercy of these elements that were happening all around us, raging, incredible like how is this house still standing here with the wind blowing that that hard outside how is that happening that that really was probably a better depiction of my life than what we care to admit it's probably a better depiction of of your life than what you care to admit because the reality is that there are all kinds of things that are shifting shadows the things that you think make you stable really aren't that stable at all and you know this experientially And so the constant call for you when you experience those weaknesses is not to be afraid, but to turn your gaze to God. Because God is saying it's going to be that way in the world that we live in. So his constant call to you is to trust. To trust that he is who he says he is. That he is a refuge and he is a strength. He acknowledges that you will have trouble so much so that he tells you, yes, even in those tight places, I'll be your strength. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Can we conclude in this way? For you who are unbelieving, the things that I've said this morning honestly should terrify you because the most sturdy things in your life are the things that are unsturdy themselves, which are things of the earth. And if you're placing your hope and your trust in those things, they will always give way. That's why you're constantly having to strive for more and more. Can I tell you? Our God, the God who spoke the heavens into existence, our God, who is never changing, he is a refuge and a strength. For those of you who believe and and maybe you find yourself in times of trouble, And you've been uncertain as to whether God is a very present help. Maybe you've even asked, as the the psalmist David asked in many other times, God, where are you? It's as if he can't be found. He tells us here that he is ready to be found. He is available for all kinds of help, abundantly so. Can I tell you today to come trust in the God who is a refuge? For those of you who believe and who are resting in God, can I, can I tell you to consistently on purpose rest in this truth about who God is? Don't, don't run after other things. Don't think God is the best among many shelters and refuges or strengths in life. He is your only refuge. So what is the call? The call for all of us is really the same. Would you trust him today? With your life, with the things that you have in life, would you trust him more fully today? 
See, your fear is probably indicating that, that you're not trusting him well. That's the call for you. That's the call for me, that he is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in your troubles. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we, we need this truth. We need this truth consistently. We pray, Lord, that it would be saturated in our hearts that, as one song describes you, that you are strong and kind and that we can run to you. We can come to you. Father, would you help us to do that? Would, would you help us to live the truth that our refuge is in you? What, what a kindness that you allow us to experience the instability of life to help us to see that those things are not worthy of our hope, those things are not worthy of our trust. God, would you help us to cling to you that when the storm is raging that we find ourselves resting, not dismissing that we have troubles, but resting in you. Lord, may it be so for us. May we be strengthened and encouraged today by your, your strong name and your powerful word. It's in your name we pray, amen.